So in this episode of the podcast, we're going to be going over the draft and we're going to discuss a few different things. First off, we're going to just do a positional overview, looking at the running back values, the depth at wide receiver, um, talking about tight ends and quarterbacks. And then we're going to do just a brief review of the first few rounds of the draft with a quick look at each round and what really jumped out. And then we're just going to take a look at every team and their draft and analyze team by team how we think the players are going to do, which players we believe in, which ones we don't. And then lastly, we're just going to do a grade from back to front, starting with the last team forward. I didn't actually grade anyone, but uh, I'm joined today with Matin, who went over the draft grades. Uh, he's kind of the... Uh, Greater of our league, Dynasty Ranker. So, Mateen, I'd like to introduce you hey to guys. the podcast. Thanks for having me, Sam. Uh, you know, that's what I do. I, I drink and I judge people. So, uh, I'm perfect for this. Happy to be here. All right, great. So, looking forward to this episode with you. Beat the drum down, not a sundown. When I come round, what you want now? I'm the one now. All right, so to start off with, um, let's let's kind of go over the different positions. So as I briefly just mentioned in the introduction, um, our league values different uh, positions in the draft. Uh, so usually there's a tendency for running backs to go early. Um, so maybe Martin, you can kind of touch up mm -hmm. on running back values and what that means to the team in terms of keepers and how early they should be going in the draft. Yeah, thanks, Sam. I think it's really important to kind of have this conversation about the kind of differing positional value, both in our league and in general. Um, you know, it's important to kind of keep context in mind when we look at all of the analysis because, you know, that's always a big part of it. So, you know, even the way that the positions kind of are valued can change over time, right? So, you know, we, we all know that, you know, the quarter, the thinking of quarterbacks has really shifted in the last you know, decade. And now there's so many in the kind of MO is to wait on them a little bit. But, you know, lately the, uh, the influx of running quarterbacks has really changed the position. So I think it's really kind of important to have that understanding of what is it like, like what, what is the value of running backs, wide receivers, tight end and quarterbacks in our league? So obviously in our league, running back is just valued at a premium, right? You see this every single year where guys will overpay. And it really does make sense why. Because, you know, having that two, three, uh, those two, three running backs to be able to kind of bookend your team is so important because the drop-off is so sudden, right? What you really have is there's a few workhorses that you know you're going to be able to depend on. And then there's a tier of guys that you can plug in, but there's, you know, a lot of questions about, you know, what production you're going to get from them, what level of stability you're going to get from them. And then there's kind of the lottery tickets where these guys could step into that role or on a per game basis, they could, you know, if the right guys are missing, provide that extra bit of value. So we've always valued running backs really highly. And it makes sense why, because that drop off in tiers is more extreme at that position than at most others. But this year, one thing that's really jumped out is, you know, something similar has happened at tight end. You know, with tight end, you've got this elite class of three. You've got this next set of two, maybe three guys that are kind of in that next tier. And then there's a massive, massive drop-off where you get these question marks at the position. So when you look at 
the teams that we're all building, one of the big considerations is, well, what questions does that team have? You know, does are there answers at every position or are there going to be those big question marks that can doom a team? And when you look at, you know, those two positions in particular, running back and tight end, the scarcity and that level of drop off from the guys you can depend on to the guys you're not sure about is huge. So we've always ranked running backs pretty appropriately from that perspective. But I think the tight end is kind of that next position where we're seeing that same effect with scarcity because the difference in having those top three guys or having, you know, the Pitts and Hawks who could join that top tier and then, you know, the lottery tickets, Tunyons and, you know, guys like that elk, it's it's massive. So you have all these receivers that are going to drop. You have all these running backs that are being taken early. Tight end, I think we're kind of just catching up to the thinking on the scarcity of that position. And then QBs. It's a really interesting one because there are so many viable quarterbacks, but what these quarterbacks can add in their rushing ability, right, with just, you know, 40, 60 yards a game is huge because that's four to six points. Rushing touchdowns, you know, valued at a six-point premium instead of four for a passing touchdown. All of a sudden, even the calculus on those running quarterbacks changes completely, and you have, you know, guys like Lamar and maybe Hertz who can just provide that steady floor with their feet on their own so it's, it's really interesting to kind of look at the positions look at how things are changing and then factor that into how we draft because it really does make a big difference and you can see it with running back and maybe it's not quite as obvious with a position like tight end and then with wide receiver you see all these super talented guys falling so from a team building perspective if you're not factoring in the different positional values you're kind of putting yourself at that disadvantage now, with uh, adding to the tight end scarcity that you mentioned, uh, I do feel like that is more of a recent trend that we've been experiencing, maybe within the past three, four years, I would say, at most. Uh, before that, I think it was a little bit more balanced. You still had the guys like uh, Gronk or Jimmy Graham of the past, but I think that there wasn't as steep of a drop-off. Now, with Kelsey kind of moving towards the latter half of his career, do you think that this will kind of level out as time goes on, or do you think that the difference in tiers will kind of continue to carry on? I think there's, until we get enough tight ends to really sustain all owners, right, until we get like a deep crop of like 8 to 12 tight ends that everyone could get a viable tight end that they don't have to worry about, there's going to be that issue, right? Like even if Kelsey kind of leaves that top tier and maybe a guy like Pitts takes his place any time that you can identify those really really significant drop-offs and tiers and really that's the way you should be looking at your draft right is uh, who are the guys in that premium tier who are the guys in the next tier and the tier after that so any time that you can look at a position and say you know the drop-off between the tiers is really dramatic we're talking like three four points per tier uh, that's going to continue to be the case so until we get to a point where you know more teams are drafting Hawkinson's and Pitts in the first round and there's that influx of talent uh, we're going to continue to see you know those top end guys being valued because yeah guys like Kelsey Kittle um, Waller maybe Pitts can just provide so many extra points at that position that you know that's a huge huge advantage week in week out over a guy who's got a bottom tier uh, guy at that position even if it's a you know bottom tier tight end one you know the difference between tight end one two and three and tight end eight nine ten is huge so I think we're going to see that until we get a full deep set of like 10-ish guys at that position who can provide equally. Yep. And kind of just to circle back in on the whole running back value, I think it also has to do with the fact that there's only 32 teams with a starting running back. And even out of those 32 teams, I don't think every team has 
uh, kind of that workhorse running back that you can depend on. So a team that just jumps to mind is the Bills. Uh, for example, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary. I don't think any of those guys are running backs you'd be comfortable starting in your lineup. Maybe they're Jake Allen is part of that rushing committee, right? I mean, exactly. yeah, that's that's what it is, right? It's we've had we've dealt with committees before, but you know the way that the NFL values running back from a contract and draft capital perspective is pushing more and more teams into these committees. And right. then when quarterbacks join into that rushing committee as well, it just gets diluted. Right. And I think you raised a good point or alluded to it, right? Like there's two things that drive running back value. It's the certainty of the guys who are going to get touches, the guys you know are going to get 10, 15, 20 carries a game. And then it's the injury risk because not only are these guys relatively certain to get a more constant number of touches a game, but the drop-off is huge because they take a beating, right? Like running backs get hurt so much more than wide receivers do. So what you have is, you know, a certainty that these guys are going to get valuable touches, and then you have uncertainty in that they could get hurt, right? So anyone who's got two running backs and has that, you know, third, that drop-off to the RB3, that's really a danger. That's one of those things that can really derail a season. Mm-hmm. And their career spans as a result of that is shorter. So I guess what people are looking for is that next young running back that they could easily replace in their roster, this being a keeper league. Um, whereas wide receiver, there is a lot of depth. There's a lot of teams that can sustain two top wide receivers. Even if you may, might consider the Bucks, they might even uh, sustain three if you can count uh, Antonio Brown in there. So that's why I think there's a lot more depth at wide receiver, and that's why it has a history of being a little bit less uh, undervalued in our league. If we maybe change to a more formal half PPR or even full PPR, although I don't think we'll ever go there, um, that might level it out a little bit, and we might value wide receivers a little bit more. But I think that's why you, you have tendencies such as Andrew jumping into the draft and just going three, four running backs in the first uh, picks that he has. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's it still makes sense to do so. You know, we we'd make jokes about how many running backs Andrew takes and Mike does the same thing, but you know, there's a value to it. So even though maybe the team the starting lineup looks a little bit weaker because, mm-hmm. you know, relative at certain positions he, he kind of bypassed those to keep taking running backs, mm-hmm. he's got the kind of value on his team that one, he can trade for replacements because we know running backs get hurt. We know there's a premium, bye weeks, etc. And then two you know, just kind of having those guys available means that you can kind of uh, weather any storm. So whether or not there's injury issues or bye weeks yourself, you're always going to have that guy that you can plug in and not have that massive drop off that comes with the uh, scarcity of running back. Yeah. So moving next, uh, let's do a short review of the draft. Let's just quickly look at maybe the first five rounds and see what jumps out at us, see what we agree with, what we think may have been should or should have been done differently. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, So obviously we're going to skip ahead of the keepers. Uh, Just as a funny side note, if because ESPN randomizes when the keepers are kept, our first overall selection would have been Josh Jacobs, followed by DeAndre Swift and Chris Godwin. Those were the first three picks taken in our draft. (laughs) And Dobbins at four. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. And that's after he's on IR, but what are you going to do? That's, uh, so that, that's actually another point I wanted to bring up, and it's a little brief discussion we had last night at the draft. But um, a potential for maybe moving keeper deadline to after preseason is over, so we can kind of mitigate things like that happening where J.K. Dobbins goes out with a season-ending injury where, uh, while Tofu has already kept him. Um, it's definitely a possibility in the future, seeing how they reconstructed the preseason schedule. Now there's like a week gap 
between the preseason yeah. and the start of the season. So it's something that we can probably consider in, in the future. Look, there's there's pros and cons to every decision, and you have laid out a bunch of the pros for pushing that keeper deadline as late as possible. The flip side is that that means that there's less time to prep, right? The for advantage sure. of the keepers locking earlier is that you know exactly what players are going to be available. Like You lock in that draftable players pool early so you can kind of start preparing those rankings and looking at guys a little bit closer earlier on. Yeah. You just don't have that uncertainty hanging over you. So, you know, it's just a matter of what do we as a league value? Do we want more time to prep or do we want that extra certainty of knowing that your keepers are going to be healthy-ish because you've locked them in at the latest possible time? And for some reason to me, it just seems like a lot of the big names are falling late in the preseason, whereas in years past, I don't recall that ever happening. Maybe they were resting some of these players more often in the preseason, but it, it seems a little strange to me. Yeah, the preseason's always weird, right? Because you have guys, you never really know how much conditioning guys are doing coming into preseason, right? There's always that kind of question of, of guys kind of condition themselves before the training camp or are they using training camp as conditioning? And then, you know, guys with nagging injuries are a whole other issue. So anytime you start ramping up contact and ramping up intensity, there's going to be a, a risk of injury. And so, you know, I think that's just going to happen regardless of how the NFL plays it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's take a look at this draft, starting with round four, which is our round one. Uh, obviously, yeah. first overall was Najee Harris. We expected that. It was a big trade for him to move up and get the guy he wanted. Uh, then came Tofu, trading a first round next year just to move up to that number two spot and guarantee himself the player he wanted. But I think it took us all by surprise that he took Gus Edwards at that number two overall pick. Yeah, I actually thought he was moving up for Kyle Pitts, which is interesting because that's exactly who Jordan wanted, and Jordan was able to get him at four. Mm-hmm. Look, we're not going to beat a dead horse. I think we've all kind of talked about just how much was paid to move up to two, and the fact that you know this was someone that you know maybe could have been available at four, and you know Mike and Jordan have confirmed that yeah, he would have been available at four. So without kind of you know beating a dead horse there, well, we we understand that it was an overpay, but sometimes you've got to get your guy. It's the same thing Chris did. You know, sometimes people are just going to be dead set on a certain person. And you got to remember, fantasy football is supposed to be fun. It's your team. It's it's your decision to make. So, you know, I'm definitely going to keep making fun of Tofu for it. But at the end of the day, I, one, fully support his right to do it. And I understand it because, you know, we've all reached for that guy that we want. Yep. Now, the only thing to me, though, that I just wanted to point out is, for me, Gus Edwards doesn't really carry keeper potential if you're expecting no. jk Dobbins to come back then he's going to be the guy i don't see gus edwards kind of taking the role moving forward sure he, he's going to probably be the main guy in the backfield for the ravens this year i don't see them adding anyone beyond depth in free agency uh but with other names like james robinson david montgomery out there available i think he could have landed any of those guys at pick number four and been just equally as happy so i just don't understand the move yeah and i think that's exactly right and you kind of have to factor that into your consideration of how you value a first round pick right because if we look at the first round i guess the fourth round on espn there are a lot of potential keepers available you know both in the fourth and the early part of the fifth so when you have a first round pick you can look at that first round pick and think not only is this going to get me a great player you know for this season but that could get me a guy who i could keep moving forward so all of a sudden not only does that you know fourth round pick help you this year it also helps you next year and you know so on because you've bolstered your keeper position so to give up a future first and to get a guy who probably isn't going to have that keeper value is just tough on both fronts because it's a one-year stopgap 
And not only are you not taking someone who you may be able to keep next year, because we all expect Dobbins to still be that guy, but you also lose the opportunity to get, you know, that that keeper level guy in the first round next year, the year after that. So, you know, the the opportunity cost to spend to, to paying that price uh, both next year and in getting, you know, the, the one year replacement is sky high on both fronts. The only argument that could be made at that point is there's more news coming out that they fear that Dobbins injury is beyond just an ACL tear and it might involve the LCL, which uh, it's a harder recovery to come back from. But even given that, I still don't see Gus Edwards being their running back of the future. He's kind of been there as like the change of pace guy. He's been solid, uh, no doubt about it. But I just don't see him being the future of the Baltimore Ravens running backs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next, we had James Robinson go, and then Kyle Pitts. Do you think that's a little too early for a tight end who's never played a down of football? I do not. Um, you know, it's kind of fitting that he went fourth overall exactly where the Falcons picked him, and I think that's kind of the important thing to remember there is not only did the Falcons spend a premium pick on you know Kyle Pitts, they bypassed one of the most valuable assets in football, rookie quarterback, to do so. And I get that they extended Matt Ryan and all that, but sometimes you have to look at what investment has the team made, right? That should tell you something about how they plan to use this guy. They used a fourth overall pick on him. They have all the incentive in the world to get him involved early. They traded Julio Jones, right? Like everything the Falcons have done tells you they plan to get him involved early. So I get the potential hesitation of saying, you know, rookie tight ends always start slowly, but at the same time, one, if ever there was a player to buck that trend, it's this guy. And two, if you're telling me you could get like a 23-year-old version of Travis Kelsey and you could have that guy locked in as a keeper moving forward, and we just talked about tight end scarcity, wouldn't you do that? I mean, both in the short term, to get there a little bit more risk on that end, but both in the short term and in the long term, Kyle Pitts represents fantastic value at a position that, you know, as we've talked about, uh, I think it's, it's a little bit overlooked in terms of what that drop-off looks like. And Kyle Pitts, you know, I think he's the top of Tier 2 and could even burst right into Tier 1 right away. So if it comes next year, that's a little bit of a bummer. But even then, you know, if that's the worst-case scenario, that that breakout for Kyle Pitts comes next year, that's not a huge loss there. Do you think he's going to have a better season than Darren Waller this year? Or do you think he's just taken fourth overall because it's a keeper league and he has more kind of long-term potential? I mean, I think more long-term potential, right? Like you have to remember Darren Waller kind of had a delayed start to his career. So Kyle Pitts is younger. And again, it's it's the investment too, right? You kind of know that the Falcons are going to make him the focal point of their offense. So I totally see it either way. I think if it was Waller, that would make sense too. Either way, you're getting that premier guy. But uh, And I don't want to say one's going to be better than the other, right? I think they're both, if not going to be at that same tier right now, they're going to be at that same tier next year or very soon. And again, you're taking the guy who's much, much younger. So mm-hmm. it makes sense either way. So David Montgomery fell to Mike Moffitt uh, with the fifth pick. To me, he was actually the best running back available, uh, arguably. Uh, I would have yeah. taken him over Gus Edwards and James Robinson. So I think that was a gift that kind of fell to Mike. Uh, at six overall, I was able to grab Justin Jefferson. I think he was the best running back, or sorry, wide receiver available on the board. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, Darren Waller went after to Will. You got Keenan Allen, another great name on the board. Um, I personally did not want Keenan Allen because not only did I do I think that Justin Jefferson has the longer term potential, but I also have Austin Eckler on my team. Uh, and I didn't want to kind of be dependent on the Chargers offense carrying me since it's 
it's a great offense for fantasy. It's but it, to me, it's still not like a top offense that you want many of the pieces on your fantasy team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, all those guys that you just mentioned, I think that was the meat of that first round. You know, actually, those are kind of the four or five guys that I had ranked at the top. It was, for me, I'm not going to say the order, but it was Pitts, Montgomery, Jefferson, Waller, and Keaton Allen, right? So by the time I saw those first two picks go, I was sitting in a great spot because I knew I was going to get one of those top five guys. So uh, just quick notes on each one. I mean, Justin Jefferson's a young stud. He's got keeper potential. He oozes keeper potential. David Montgomery, one of those really safe, dependable running backs. I mean, he'd be a great RB2, and yet for Mike, he's actually you know somewhere between RB2, RB3. He now starts off with three great running backs because he already had CEH coming to him in the trade. Uh, Will snapping up Darren Waller, phenomenal value, right? That, that just fell into his lap. I was almost getting excited about the prospect of him coming to me, but you know we talked about the drop-off at tight end, so for him to get one of those elite guys at seven, great, great value. Uh, Keenan Allen at eight, you know, I can tell you I was missing some picks. So for me, even though I, I understood the value of running backs and I really considered Mike Davis here, I looked at it as I'm missing picks. I have a short window with these elite studs who, uh, the, my keepers who, you know, might regress as you mentioned on your first episode. So I, I just wanted to, to put a premium on safety and Keenan Allen is safe and dependable. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm happy with the decision I made. And then all of a sudden the, uh, the running back train continues because yeah. we get Damian Harris going next, arguably a little bit high, but you know, it depends on how you value that New England uh, backfield. We, we do know they're going to run more. Miles Gaskin, uh, you know, again, maybe not the running back I would have gone, but when you look at it from the perspective of the value of having that extra running back, it totally makes sense. So we can quibble about which one was taken, but the principle here at nine and 10 makes total sense. So you can already kind of see like a big drop off in the tier of running backs available though. So if you are still looking at kind of best at the position available, best player available, it makes total sense to take Keenan Allen, even if you are slightly thinner at running back, which in your case, you're not since you already had Aaron Jones and Derrick Henry, but even a person who has maybe one running back on their team, I could easily make the case why they would go wide receiver why not take another guy who's still in the top tier of the wide receiver bracket rather than settle for any of these kind of toss-ups at running back Uh, yeah sometimes you need to soak up value and i know i'm jumping a little bit ahead but mm -hmm. that's what mike did at the top of the first right i mean he had the luxury of already nabbing that dependable back but sometimes when the value falls to you you just have to soak it up and and that's the advantage of you know, everyone reaching for running backs is these fantastic wide receivers. Keenan Allen's a wide receiver one. Terry McLaurin's a wide receiver one. These guys are going to fall as a byproduct of us overvaluing certain other positions. Yep. And Terry McLaurin is one of those names that I would have included amongst the other wide receivers available. I think he has the potential out of the three. Maybe he's the lowest or maybe closer to Keenan Allen, but he definitely has the potential to finish as a top 10, maybe even top five wide receiver, depending on how things go with Fitzmagic. Yeah, I mean, the target share is going to stay sky high. I don't think Curtis Samuel is really going to eat into that target share too much, given that he's more of a gadget player. And then, yeah, he's got that upgraded fits, and he's more of a downfield passer and a better passer than anything McLaurin had last year. So Mm -hmm. totally get it, and the value is right there. And then Chase Edmonds went next um, to Will. Uh, I still can't wrap my head around Chase Edmonds. He, as a starter last year, he didn't impress me. They brought in James Conner. James Conner, I think, will have more of the goal line work, more of the scoring opportunities than Chase Edmonds, although he does have that injury history. But it's just a little bit of a murky backfield that I'm not too happy about, but I could see where 
Will might get kind of the upside if it pans out for Chase Edmonds. Yeah, Chase Edmonds is an interesting example. You know, one way to look at valuing fantasy football players is what's the range of outcome? You know, Chase Edmonds, I see it. You know, there is an outcome where he dominates that Arizona backfield. The Arizona offense is great. You know, there's not the committee that we're worried about, and he even gets to keep the goal line carries. But you know, another outcome is that he's more of a between-the-20s guy. You know, he doesn't get that red zone work. He's in a little bit of a timeshare where James Conner eats into his carries. So, you know, it, it's not clear what that most likely outcome is. I don't know that it's A. I think it might be the latter. So, you know, that risk is baked in there. And, you know, maybe he doesn't value Mike Davis the same way. But I guess I look at Mike Davis and I think of the range of outcomes with a guy like that. I think if you're chasing that safe running back, you know, maybe that dependable option is Mike Davis because the range of outcomes is maybe a little bit safer than for a guy like Edmonds. But the the upside's there, so I can see what he's going for, even if I disagree. Mm -hmm. And then Javante Williams went next. Uh, He was definitely the favorite running back to take uh, who's a rookie. Um, He obviously doesn't carry any values at the start of the season unless something like uh, Marlon Mack's injury happens to Melvin Gordon where then he takes the starting role. Um, so it's a good stash player, but uh, again, we'll kind of dive into uh, the value the players carry for each of the teams when they took them um, a little bit later on in the podcast. But uh, I think that for the team, it might not have been the best selection since uh, he's a little thin at the running back position, but I think it's a great pick at uh, third overall in the second round. And then I had back-to-back picks, so I had the luxury of kind of just thinking about who I want to take. At this point, I think in the uh, what would be in a, in a regular redraft league would be the fifth round. I think it's easy to say that Mahomes is a fair pick to take here. Usually, he goes around the third round pick of redraft leagues. Um, Mike Davis, he was the... I, I don't know what to think of Mike Davis. I don't know why. You kind of mentioned it at the draft, too. There's no competition there. He seems to be kind of the lead guy there, the workhorse there, yet he's not getting any love. So I'm wondering why he's kind of ranked a little bit lower. So that created some hesitancy in me taking him, but he was definitely the last kind of running back that, to me, stood out amongst the batch. And I I knew that if I didn't make a move at running back now, since he's my third and only running back on my team, then I'd kind of be really thin in that position. Yeah, Mike Davis was one of my favorite value propositions in this entire draft, both because I view him as incredibly safe. You know, it's a a solid offense. There's zero competition for touches. You know, he's a great runner. He's good in the red zone. He catches the ball well. He's not game script dependent. So kind of whatever the situational football is that Atlanta finds itself, he's going to get his touches. He's going to get his opportunities. And, you know, fantasy football is about talent meets opportunity. And, you know, you can question his talent, but the opportunity is undoubtedly there as Atlanta hasn't made any kind of move to uh, to eat into what should be a very, very healthy diet for Mike Davis over there. And then, you know, you always have to look at the, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but team building, right? You've got those two picks there. You've got your opportunity to add that dependable running back. You already got your stud at wide receiver. I, I totally understand going for QB here since it may have been a little bit early to dip back into tight end, even though... You know, we talked about how that drops. So getting one of the two, if not the most stable, reliable guys, a quarterback, you know, you look at, yeah, you put in Mahomes, you know, you've got an edge, you know, 90% of the time, maybe with the right matchup, Allen, you know, is, is the better matchup against you if you, you end up in that 
matchup against Andrew, but otherwise, you know, you know what you're getting and you're setting yourself up to win that position week in, week out. Mm-hmm. Next was Mike Evans taken off the board, followed by high risk, high reward. Yep. Followed by Cooper Cup and Tyler Lockett. Um, yeah, actually, I'd say all three of these guys, maybe not Cup so much, but you, what you get here is kind of these wide receivers that have that upside. So I totally get it. I would actually say that Cup has the highest floor of yeah. the three of them. You know, Mike Davis is a glorified wide receiver fullback. So you have to be ready that he might have games where he catches two balls. But, you know, he might have a game where he has two balls, two yards, two touchdowns Mike like he Evans, had last yeah. year. Mike Evans. Thank you. So, yeah, all three of these guys, you know, you see the upside. You, they'll Two of them have a pretty high downside, mm-hmm. especially Tyler Lockett, right? Something like 46% of all of his points came in three games. Yeah, he had one game where he had like, exactly, right? So the question is, if you put him in your lineup, he might boom, but we've seen this track record of him really putting up a lot of dud weeks. So mm-hmm. the upside's there. It makes sense. But of the three, only Cooper Cup has that floor that I'd feel safe with. Mm-hmm. And then next was Sony Michelle, which is a little bit of a head scratcher. Uh, and I think to kind of make a bigger point of that, Mike had the pick right after, and he went ahead and took Daryl Henderson Jr. Uh, regardless of who you think might get the more touches in Los Angeles, it's, again, a kind of a murky backfield that I'm not too happy about. Uh, I just feel like Daryl Henderson has had uh, ample opportunities to kind of take a lead back role even before Akers came, and he never really took control of that opportunity when Malcolm Brown was there he kind of took over for a bit and then Daryl Henderson got another shot and then eventually Cam Akers kind of took off from that point with Sony Michelle coming in there he's always been unimpressive on the Patriots even when he's had a chance Um, so none of those running backs really excite me but the fact that Michelle was even taken ahead of Henderson is a little baffling to me well I mean look what what you're looking at there is just an understanding that the upside in the Rams running game is huge, right? This is one of the best schemed run games in the NFL. And you're kind of betting that, you know, if one of these guys can take over that backfield, that's a potential league winning move, right? Especially Darnell Henderson. I think of the two, he's more likely to pop. And really, if you're taking Sony Michelle, you're kind of betting against Henderson staying healthy, right? But, but either way, you know, that's, that's the bet that these guys can make when they have all these extra draft picks is saying, if this guy pops, if he gets, if he dominates that really, really valuable backfield, then all of a sudden you have, you know, a potential league winning asset. So you, you see the logic. It's a type of move, especially with those guys that you kind of have to have extra draft picks to pull. But based on how we value things in our league, it really makes sense. So the running back that went after are both Michelle and Henderson is one that I'd be happier keeping. Uh, and that's Raheem Mostert. Uh, he also, though, has his injury ailments that have come. He's never been really able to sustain a long season. Uh, despite that, when he is on the field, uh, he's definitely a lot more electric. And San Francisco is also another team where I feel like the running back position couldn't prosper, whoever it is. So taking that shot on Mostert, since he is the initial starter, I think is beneficial. Yeah. And then we got the second quarterback off the board in Josh Allen. Uh, I was again a little bit surprised. I personally think it, it was it's a tighter race between Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray, uh, just because I feel like Kyler Murray um, has a little bit of stronger weapons in. Like personally, I think Hopkins is a better receiver uh, in terms of athleticism compared to Stephon Diggs, and then I just feel like Kyler also 
to me just seems like a more of a run heavy quarterback. So I think if what kind of slowed him down last year, he was I I believe the running back or sorry the quarterback won for the majority of the beginning half of the season, and I think uh, injuries kind of slowed him down a little bit. Uh, but I, I don't think Josh Allen is a bad pick here. I think it could go either way. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. Again, this this is where I look at it through the lens of what are the kind of range of outcomes for each of those guys. I think for Josh Allen, if you really kind of sit down and look at what the different outcomes are, you have a view of a higher floor and a higher ceiling, right? Like you can see how the Bills could once again be the pass-happiest offense. They can run Josh Allen in the red zone to pick up those valuable rushing touchdowns. There's a clear path that shows him being QB1. Right, he's already produced at that level, so that's not crazy to think where he could repeat. The other side is, you know, that Buffalo offense—it's very strong, it's very dependable, kind of less risky than the Arizona offense. And again, you know, even if he has a down year, that rushing will sustain him, especially in the end zone, because he is part of that committee. So whereas you know both guys are runners, Kyler's more of a between the twenties runner. And Allen's going to pound it in the red zone and try and get you those valuable touchdowns. And then you already hear a buzz coming out of Arizona about, well, we want to try and run Kyler a little less. And, you know, durability too. Kyler's a lot smaller than Allen is. So maybe, you know, the Bills feel a little bit more confident in running Allen than the Cards do in running Murray. So I think, you know, it's definitely, I see the scenario where Kyler Murray scrambles like crazy and, you know, uses that receiving core. Uh, to full promise and is actually able to put that you know QB1, QB2 season together. But I just see it a lot more likely for Allen based on the different ranges of outcomes available to each guy. Mm-hmm. And then in 2019, uh, Lamar Jackson kind of had that MVP-esque season where he made a huge jump, uh, I think not only on the ground game, but he was very accurate in the passing game. And then last year, he took a big step back. Do you think that is in the realm of possibilities for Josh Allen. Do you think his passing game, because his season before last, that that was his biggest pitfall, do you think he might take a step back in that, or do you think he can sustain similar numbers as to last year? I think it's, I think he's more likely to sustain kind of that same level of production because the scheme hasn't really changed, and the scheme does favor you know that passing yardage. Right, it's a pass-happy scheme. They've moved away from the running game. They do, you know, air it out a little bit. Whereas with Baltimore, you know, the difference is that they were never a pass-happy team. They were a run-first team that started taking advantage of teams loading up the box and hitting on a disproportionately high number of deep shots. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you look at the Ravens situation, in order to sustain that level of production, he had to kind of continue to produce counter to the scheme. Whereas with Allen, as long as he plays within the same offense, you know, that path to repeating the same numbers as last year is right there because that's the focus of the offense. They're not changing anything at work for them. They have no incentive to. So I kind of just see that more likely to stay the same. Mm-hmm. And then the last running back of the third round was Kareem Hunt. Um, with Kareem Hunt, I think he's a great player, but he's a frustrating one to start in fantasy, especially on that Browns offense. A lot of times, just watching him last year, he would kind of be putting up a goose egg going into the fourth, and then he'd kind of take over the opportunity. Chubb would take a step back at that point, and then he would score a touchdown or get like an 80-yard catch or run, and that kind of bolstered his stats a little bit. Um, So I don't know what to think of him. It's not a player I'd be comfortable starting, but he did definitely get results last year. 
I look at it this way, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, tiers and drop-offs, and, and really what you have to look at with Hunt is maybe he's not quite in the level of the other guys, but he's someone you can count on to produce, right? So if you look at Hunt relative to the running backs going next, we're going in the back of the seventh, we're looking at guys like Trey Sher- Sermon, Zach Moss, and you can see the upside for those guys, but they don't have that kind of level of dependability. That's like true. if you need your running back three to step in in a bye week or for an injury, mm-hmm. you know, you'd much rather have Kareem Hunt because he feels like the safer play. So maybe he doesn't have the upside of those other guys. Maybe you're relying on some of the stuff that you said. I actually think he's quite well ingrained in that offense. Like they scheme plays for him. They scheme him touches. I don't think he's going to be starving this year. So I actually really look at it as, you know, that's the last of the running backs that you feel comfortable putting into your starting yeah. lineup, uh, absent any injuries to, you know, Trey Sermon or Zach Moss's backfield committee mate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes, again, we, we talked into this, if you need that dependable running back, the drop-off hits hard. So sometimes you need to overpay for a guy like Hunt because you at least get that certainty. Yeah, and there's a big, pretty much, cliff after him in terms of running backs available. Exactly. Then we got Robert Woods, which I think is another solid receiver on that offense. Arguably, you can say that he should be valued pretty similar to Cooper Cup. We really don't know how Stafford is going to favor which receiver more, but I think both of them should have an opportunity to excel. Then we got DJ Moore going on Carolina, who's still a solid wide receiver. Uh, And then I was able to snag Amari Cooper and Julio Jones, so we got a little chain of wide receivers going. After that, I think it's kind of... On to the next tier, but still in a high tier of tight ends available. So you were able to grab TJ Hawkinson. And then the last two picks to close out the round was Chase Claypool and Adam Thielen. So Yeah, this run of wide receivers gets very interesting, right? Because as we as as everybody starts kind of prioritizing those premium positions, what inevitably happens is very, very good wide receivers, because wide receivers are insanely deep start to fall. So I look at this and look at it and say, listen, all the pre- there we've kind of hit that point where there's a huge drop-off in the premier positions. So guys have just started gobbling up volume, right? Like DJ Moore, Mari Cooper, Julio Jones, Chase Claypool, Adam Thielen will go into the next round there. You know, you get Kyler Murray and then Jer- uh, Jerry Judy, Brandon Ayuk, Deontay Johnson. Like this is where those running, that wide receiver value really starts to, you know, become prominent. So you grabbed a couple of those receivers, which, you know, I, I really liked. Um, Andrew gets Chase Claypool, who he tried desperately desperately to trade for last year. Uh, there's value there with uh, Thielen, who Arash gets late to fill in as, as wide receiver too. So, you know, as everyone else starts ebbing, this is where you flow, and then you start grabbing some of that value. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to the different teams, and let's actually just kind of work our way back to front in terms of our draft grades. Um, so I took, I had a chance to kind of take a look at your grades and for the most part with the order, I agree with, um, personally, um, I, I think I would have ranked tofu actually at the bottom. You have him kind of third, but we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll kind of go based off your rankings and then I'll kind of tell you what my equivalent is and what my thought process on that was. Okay, so as discussed, we're not going to reveal the grades here. We're just going to talk about each team, and then once we've gone through each team, we're going to reveal the grades at the end, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. So the 10th person that I have here, and again, sometimes people will have the same grades, so just because someone's, let's say, 6th or 7th doesn't mean that they have the same grade. Uh, At the bottom here, I have Chris, 
And really it comes down to risk. I mean, what Chris has is a very explosive, high upside group with a lot of question marks. You know, one thing I've keep mentioning this year is range of outcomes. I look at what is the range of outcomes for Chris's team? Like what is the what are the possible outcomes for him to have a successful season and make a playoff push and all that? And what are the possible outcomes where, you know, the wheels fall off and this goes badly? And with so many risks baked in, there are a lot of different ways that this could go badly. So, you know, Chris could make me eat these words and he could have a great season because the upside is certainly there. But, you know, there are definitely a lot of different scenarios where this goes poorly. So the way I want to start is let's look at the team building, right? Because you have Barkley, who carries a lot of injury concern this year. He kind of hedged that risk by trading for Harris, who does look like a rock-solid stud. But when you have Barkley as your running back two, it really becomes important to kind of have that running back three because you may need him long-term, right? Like Barkley mm-hmm. is more likely than most to miss significant amount of time. And, you know, putting aside the issue of you need a running back three to rotate in for bye weeks, when you have that injury risk and it's not properly hedged with a good running back three, like, if Barkley misses time, that's a huge, huge drop-off to go from Barkley to his running back three is Michael Carter. Yep, like, there's, yes, there's, there's a, a path. potential that Barkley's not ready to go week one. Yeah, that's still the chatter, right? I mean, he hasn't taken much contact in preseason training. Like, even if he's ready, like, how much contact has he really taken? So mm-hmm. the re-injury risk is high with him, higher with him, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the first way in which you can look at it and say, man, like, this, this could get bad because, you know, it's not unreasonable to think that Barkley misses time. And if he does... That's a huge drop-off in a league where, I don't think we talked about it, you know, it's a 10-team league. Everyone's got good rosters, right? Like, even Chris's roster is quite good uh, despite him missing some draft capital. So when one thing goes wrong, and a lot of things go wrong in fantasy football, when that one thing goes wrong, all of a sudden there's a huge drop-off, and that other team is probably going to be in position to exploit it because all of a sudden at running back two, where there's a potential for a lot of points, now you've got a huge disadvantage at a very important spot. So, you know, flagging that. And then even the guys he does have, right? Like Mike Evans, we kind of talked about. He's basically a wide receiver fullback. Sure, he posts a lot of points, but that's that's risky because he does have those two games where he puts up two touchdowns and he has some games where he puts up two catches and doesn't have any touchdowns, right? He mm-hmm. gets like 12 yards. So more risk there. His tight end, complete question there. So I guess I just look at it. Why, uh, Brandon Cooks is the wide receiver four, and because he doesn't have a good wide receiver three, if any wide receiver misses time, now that guy's starting for you too. Yep. So there's just a lot of ways that this could you know, end badly, and so I, I worry about that. Now, I just w- do want to add this disclaimer that, yes, we are ranking everyone's drafts and what we think, but this isn't really representative of how we think people are going to do in the season because obviously you don't win the league at the draft. Uh, so depending on what Chris does throughout the season, if he finds the right guy, the right waiver pickup, makes the right move, uh, this could be a totally different outcome. So I just wanted to uh, kind of take everything with a grain of salt here. Absolutely. This is just me. This is just us analyzing and then ultimately ranking the teams as constructed after the draft. So that's also going to factor in. Those grades are going to factor in both the draft capital that people had and you know the existing keepers because that's part of the team you build. Like in Chris's case, right, having that keeper that's injury-prone means you probably need to draft some protection for him. And the fact that he didn't get that is, you know, factored into the grade. Mm -hmm. So just for the sake of it, I had Chris ranked as ninth on my list, uh, but for the exact same reasons that you brought up. Yeah. Okay. So next, uh, I think you had Jordan. Correct. Where in this position, I had Chris because I had Tofu at the bottom. I had Jordan 
one spot higher, but uh, go ahead and uh, get started on Jordan's roster. Yeah, so first of all, let's acknowledge, right? Like Jordan gave up three straight picks and premium picks, two, three, four, for two young projected workhorse running backs. So, you know, you factor the keepers into the ultimate grade and into the positioning in this kind of draft ranking, if you will. But uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to show, right? If you're missing those picks, it's going to show in the ultimate roster construction. So the fact that he's at the bottom of the list, I don't think is hugely indicative of how he did at the draft because I loved the Pitts pick. And he's got two young workhorse running backs you know ostensibly that he'll be able to use next year and beyond too so whereas the team looks a little bit weaker relative to some of the others right now he made some really good long-term moves that i quite like i actually gave uh the pitts pick the best pick award both because i love the proposition of having you know potentially a young travis kelsey and because he pocketed an extra first round pick and took the guy he was going to take it too so to me you know that was one of the best moves the lack of picks is reasonable given what you know, he needed to get uh, to, to shore up the running back position. But again, if we're going to critically assess this, you know that the the depth behind those two running backs really isn't reassuring. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's going to have to step in at least for the bye weeks. What if there's an injury? Mixon's had some issues, and then let's look at the wide receiver group. Right, Metcalf is great, but the group behind him is a little shaky. And it's, he's got a deep group, like maybe one of Juju, Chark, uh, Smith, uh, Curtis Samuel, or Boyd can step up. But like because he gave up all those picks, he needs that group of receivers to produce both a viable wide receiver two and a flex, right? So he's got to find two solid starters from that group. And the potential's there, but it's shaky, right? You're, you're probably going to have a weaker, weaker guys at those positions, and it's going to hurt you long term. And again, the running back depth might be the weakest in the league. So even though the QB is solid as well, I guess, uh, you know, you really look at range of outcomes. This could go poorly in a lot of different ways. There's, there's potential there. There's talent there. But um, there's still more work to be done on this team. Yeah, so for me, I see he has a lot of receivers with a fairly safe floor. But none of them come with huge upside to me. There's not any receiver beyond DK Metcalf that can, in my opinion, be a game changer for him where he, they can win him a week. Uh, I feel like Tyler Boyd or Juju Smith-Schuster, these are players that will maybe consistently put up six, seven, eight points. Maybe they'll get a touchdown here or there, but they're never going to have that high teen 20-point game where it could be a difference maker. Absolutely. And- but, you know, that, sorry, that just speaks to the the depth at wide receiver. Like, I'm looking at where he picked. He had picked 34 you know, fourth overall. So he had pick 34 and then he had pick 72 and pick 89, pick 92. So he actually did quite well to soak up some of that value at receiver, that value that slides as we reach for other positions. Um, So he did well on that front, but he didn't get that running back. Now, obviously there may not have been a running back available. The next pick after 34 was 72, but pick 72 was also used on a quarterback as well, right? So maybe we do have to look at the team building at least a little bit because you know, you knew going in that there was a lot of wide receivers sitting there and there wasn't that much at running back and only having two is tough in this league. Yep. And just to kind of, as a disclaimer for those listening, um, the way we kind of came up with these rankings is based not only on uh, the players that were drafted, but also the draft capital. So that's something, for example, that we took into consideration right now for Jordan, uh, the value he got with the picks that he had left. But we also did also consider the keepers. Uh, and this is something I kind of mentioned already in the keeper episode. 
I'm just not a huge fan about the safety of his keepers. DeAndre Swift is not a player that uh, I feel comfortable uh, with as being my number one running back. And the same goes with Joe Mixon. To me, he just really hasn't proven himself. He does have a perfect opportunity to be a number one guy this year, but uh, it's just it's it's not a player that I feel comfortable as my number one running back. That's fair. All right, so moving on, uh, I believe you have Tofu here. Yeah, I have Tofu uh, third from the bottom. And it's really tough because Tofu didn't give up any draft capital this year. Like he kind of kept the cupboard intact, Mm -hmm. but then he suffers this devastating injury in in Dobbins. And all of a sudden, it's as if he lost one of his keepers. It's as if he lost a first round pick. So, you know, again, not trying to kick him about the Gus Edwards decision, but, you know, if Dobbins doesn't go down, then he's sitting on three running backs. He can use the fourth overall pick on a wide receiver. You know, it's probably going to be uh, Jefferson. And all of a sudden, the makeup of the team looks different. Like when you take out that top end guy, and this kind of applies to Chris as well, what it does is it has a cascading effect where every other player that you pick from thereafter kind of moves one spot up and looks a little bit worse, right? You add that guy at number three, number four, in Tofu's case, he lost his third keeper. In Chris's case, he traded away uh, a first round pick next year. Like when you do that, uh, you trade away a keeper. Like when you lose that number three guy, your number four guy becomes your number three. And that really changes kind of the dynamic of every player thereafter. So I actually didn't hate Tofu's draft. I look at the team and I think, okay, I can see him doing him uh, working with this. But again, when you lose that number one guy, it just it hurts every pick thereafter. So I didn't hate the draft, and and maybe I'm giving him a little bit too much credit for uh, for managing the injury. See, I think he does have solid players in all positions, but yep. all of these players are players that I just personally don't like or don't like. If I would come up with a bust list, a lot of these players would fall under it. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Jalen Hurts. Uh, as quarterback he took trey lance which can have huge upside in the future but again it's not going to be upside starting off so that's still a question mark so he might even be kind of quarterback shopping within the first couple weeks if uh, jalen Hurst doesn't pan out miles sanders again for the value i don't see him as one of the top running backs jonathan taylor is great obviously but then moving into the wide receiver cooper cup he's consistent he's solid and safe but then you got people like Odell Beckham, who's really just never panned out in Cleveland. T. Higgins has great upside, but then they draft a chase, and the question, the questions around what Higgins' role is going to be, and Tyler Boyd's still going to be involved in that offense. And it, I still don't see it as a very powerhouse offense in a rebuilding team in the Bengals. So how many mouths are there to feed? Cam Akers is a nice stash, but again, doesn't provide him any benefit this year. Um so it's just to me it's a it's a roster that maybe he's i I don't even know where he's going with it it's kind of like planning for the future yet he's kind of uh used up some draft capital in the future to make this team so for that reason that's why i had him near the bottom yeah again tofu i love you buddy but you know i think we've talked both tofu and i and and other people about you know sometimes you really have to have a sense of where your team is and you kind of have to pick a lane right like some issues that i've had with tofu's trade in the past are that he tries to do two things at once and exactly as you say you know what is tofu doing this year is he all in on this year taking guy like gus edwards or is he building for the future taking guy like cam Akers? knowing where your team is and what you're trying to do in my case just picking up safe guys because i had a title window 
you know, knowing what you're trying to do really helps you kind of build a cohesive theme, right? If you do one thing, do it right. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that. I guess I do still like kind of the players Tofu picked. He he did get some guys who have both a nice mix of, of floor and potential. I think as long as Burrow's healthy, there there's enough ball to go around in Cincinnati because T. Higgins really stepped up as the number one guy. And even if he downshifts to two, you know, that's, that's an offense that's going to be behind a lot. So the game script should be favorable. Mm-hmm. You know, Ronald Jones was one of those. It, it just made sense to, to try and grab another running back there. And I think he was one of the few guys available at the time. Michael Pittman's a fun, uh, high upside guy in that Colts offense. Antonio Brown, you know, it could be an injury that frees him or it could just be Tom Brady finally targeting his roommate a little bit more like say what you want about brown but this is one of the greatest receivers of all time statistically speaking and he's you know what the number three guy in that offense so his role could expand as well obj i think even as he's struggled he's produced a reasonable floor like he still contributes he's not giving you these like 20 yard games it's just because he was obj uh, in New York, we kind of still want that from him. So I think the hate has maybe swung a little bit too far, considering there's still a solid floor there, and there is still some upside for him to rediscover himself. Cooper Cup, the Rams' offense is going to be better. Everyone seems to think so. High floor, high ceiling guy. Um, yeah. So there's Logan Thomas is an interesting guy. He's one of the kind of third tier tight ends that people have really liked. So I'm I'm not on that group, but. I get it. There's been good chatter about him. So I can see what he was trying to do with most of this team, but then every now and then kind of made a decision that went against it. So mm-hmm. a little bit more, more cohesiveness would have been would have been wanted. Mm-hmm. So next up, you had uh, two guys with the same grade, but for the sake of matching my rankings, let's talk about Mike Himes first. Okay. So I had Mike Himes ranked uh, fourth from the bottom. Um Part of the reason being just the level of his keepers uh, were a little bit weaker. Uh, I was kind of flip-flopping between Mike Himes and Andrew, which is actually not the guy you had uh, with the same grade as Himes, but we'll kind of get to him. But I personally just wasn't a huge fan of Andrew's draft either. Uh, But I think Mike Himes had a little bit of a stronger draft, but because we are still considering the keepers in all of this and the big picture, that's why I have him ranked here. Um, yeah, Himes was an interesting one. I think as you alluded to, I had him sixth overall. So I guess counting backwards, you know, fourth, uh, fifth, fifth from the bottom. Yeah. yeah. So I, I actually quite like this draft. Um, I do agree with you that the keepers were a little bit weaker. You know, look, he inherited a bad team. And so, you know, he's been rebuilding it for a while now. And that takes time because we we really hang on to those premium keepers in this league. James Robinson is an interesting decision because I think there's a significant boost for the year. Like, look at how great he was last year. The offense is going to be much improved. He's got the backfield to himself with Etienne gone because he had a kind of that level of success last year. There's less of a risk of them bringing in another back to compete. There's a lot to like for the year. Mm -hmm. I guess if we're really being critical, you know, maybe he could have targeted someone who would have been a better uh, fit long term, mm-hmm. someone who could have replaced one of his keepers. So you could argue that maybe he should have gone another way. But if we're grading it for the year, James Robinson just makes a lot of sense that stable running back, he could produce again at the same level, if not higher than he did last year when he finished seventh overall in our scoring. Like you got the number seven running back, which is huge in this league. So I actually quite like the pick. I, I can see going the other way based on what was available, but 
Uh, I like it there. Mm-hmm. The the keeper wide receivers are actually very good. I yeah. think Allen Robinson's in position to explode. Like even if it's not Fields, mm-hmm. right? Like there's still a lot to like there with Dar- uh, with, with Dalton starting, and you know he's the wide receiver one. I mean, even Lockett, with Trubisky, he was he had a pretty yeah. safe floor out there. So yeah, I mean this guy's uber talented. He's played with trash quarterbacks his entire career. Like if he can make. Bortles and some of those guys look good. Like mm-hmm. he's gonna make anybody look good. So you know, high floor, high ceiling kind of guy that you like there. I don't love Tyler Lockett in the flex, but I absolutely love that he stashed Michael Thomas. Like yeah. I know that the injury is a big concern, but I'm only hearing you know better and better things about his rehab. Stefania Bell keeps talking about how the timeline for his return keeps getting moved up. So I get that there's some weirdness long term with him in the Saints. I get that it's a weird situation that he got the surgery in July instead of January as expected. But at the end of the day, you know, if he gets Michael Thomas back, yeah, that's an absolute stud. Yep. Exactly. So I love the value proposition. And I think in the Similar- time being, he's, he's still pretty safe with having Tyler Lockett with a boom-bust potential. And then if he wants to go safer in the flex spot, he's got Kareem Hunt in there. Yeah, well, I, exactly. I was going to say, similarly, you know, if the flex is an issue, he's got Kareem Hunt, who not only supplements those running backs, but, you know, you can depend on him to get you some points out of the flex spot. Corey Davis is a very interesting player in my mind. You know, the Jets gave him a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. There's not a huge amount of competition. If Wilson's even remotely competent, all of a sudden, like, that could be a huge value. So he's got some options to attack that flex, even though I don't love Lockett in that spot right now. You know, the upside's there from Lockett, and he's got alternatives available so you know it's a well-balanced team I, I look at range of options there's a lot of ways that this can go well for him you know, he's got one of those top eight quarterbacks that gives him that stability at that position tight end is a weakness you know the, the drop off is, is quite evident here I know that uh, Tanyan had a stretch of games last year where he was really good and he did finish the tight end three so you know clearly it could happen again the, t- uh, the Packers don't really bring in pass catchers to compete with their existing guys. So, you know, the upside's there as well at that position, even though it's a big question mark. So I quite like this team. I think it's a big step forward. And that Deshaun Watson uh, stash at the end is beneficial too, because if he does end up signing with someone, then that could be a big waiver wire pickup. A lot of fab being spent there. So it's worth it as a last pick. Just yeah, I mean, it, it, look, it's it's exactly as you say. It's worth it as a last pick. Like, what else are you picking up at the bottom? I, I guess I will say I, I'll temper the expectation, the, the the excitement a little bit because, you know, quarterback is quite deep now, right? Like, there are, like, eight guys who you have no problem plopping into your QB1 and being comfortable, and then there's a group of, like, four or five, maybe even six guys behind that who could all be in that QB1 range who, you know, you look at and say, okay, I, I can get by. Like, Arash with Matt Ryan. I'm jumping ahead here, like it's not super exciting, but he's not terrible, right? And like I, you can totally get out, you can get by with a guy like that. So the depth of quarterback is such that even though Watson is a smart stash that late, you know he's going to take up a roster spot. And even if he comes in, there there are a lot of quarterbacks available. So he's going to be better, but he's not going to be dramatically better. Mm-hmm. And then fifth overall, I guess you could argue that you either had Himes there or you have Arash with similar grade here. Uh, in this position, I had Andrew personally, but let's talk about Arash's team first. So again, you know, you have to factor in the fact that people are working with less draft capital. But when I say, you know, factor that in, I'm not giving him a discount for having fewer picks. I'm just saying I'm assessing the team as I see it. And, you know, he won a title, so it makes sense that, you know, everything paid off for him. 
But at the, you look at that starting lineup, and there are some weaknesses. You know, he did very, very well to capitalize on the sliding quality wide receivers to nab Adam Thielen to be that wide receiver too. But he's got, you know, Lavishka Cheneau in that flex spot. And I get that that Jags offense is a little bit of an enigma right now. No one really knows what to make of it. But, you know, is that really something you feel comfortable with is starting him week in, week out? Like you're going to have a disadvantage most weeks of the flex. Same with quarterback. Like Matt Ryan isn't terrible. You're not going to get absolutely wrecked week in, week out at that position. But, you know, is there anyone in the league that Arash is going to look at and say, I have an advantage of quarterback? No. So, you know, you take it for what it is. There are a lot of holes both in the starting lineup and kind of big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, luckily, he's not as deep at wide receiver. I actually do like Callaway, but mm-hmm. you know, he's not as deep as wide receiver. That's easier to find. It, he's got tight end locked up. Miles Gaskin is a little bit of a question mark because you know people kind of doubt what's mm-hmm. going to happen in Miami. It may have been a one-year wonder. They brought in uh, Malcolm Brown so he could compete. It, it makes sense to get him, you know, premium at running back. But I, I just look at this team and I think. Matt Ryan, Miles Gaskin, Lavishka Cheneau. I don't love the bench aside from Callaway. Trevor Lawrence makes sense as an upside. Maybe that mitigates the issue with Matt Ryan. But, you know, there's just, there's a lot of ways that you look at this and say, yeah, you end up with a mediocre team that's not going to be able to do super well. The the keepers are phenomenal. Cook and Kelsey can, Diggs can win you a week on their own, but that supporting cast might let them down. Yeah, the bench is a little bit hard to kind of predict. One of these guys might have a big upside. A.J. Dillon might get the goal line work. Melvin Gordon still might be the lead guy in Denver. But it's just a little bit too hard to predict. Philip Lindsay might be the starter in Houston, but that's, again, another backfield that I'm not really excited about. Like you said, Miles Gaskin, it's a little bit of a crowded backfield. I'm still not sold on him. Really, the main thing that kind of separates him from the other teams, though, and why I think he still carries a strong team is just really his keepers. It's Dalvin Cook, arguably the best running back in the in the draft. Uh, Travis Kelsey, just a, a tier above every other tight end available. And then Stephon Diggs, again, arguably a top three wide receiver. So as long as none of those three main guys go down with a major injury, Uh, He also added Harrison Butker and Rams defense. Those are, again, toss-ups. But, again, like last year, they were the number one in their position. Uh, Harrison Butker Butker wasn't number one due to a bunch of different factors. I think he might have even missed some time. But we all still value him, see him as a number one kicker out there. Um, So, yeah, I, I... it's a good team based on what he came into the draft with, but I do agree that his draft was a little underwhelming. Yeah, I'll put it this way. He has good bones, and this is a team that really could take you know several steps forward and improve, but as we're looking at it right now, it's it's definitely still a work in progress to me. But you know, look, we, we find these gems in the waiver wire all the time. Guys become available through trade. Guys who had stashed all of a sudden, you know, uh, boom in value and, and really take on bigger roles than we expected. So... Uh, the armchair quarterbacks may be eating uh, this low ranking because, again, the bones are there and I could see this team improving both internally and externally. Mm-hmm. So let's move on next. I think uh, we're going to talk about Andrew's team. Yeah, okay. So this was one of the most difficult kind of reads that I had. I mean, it's so hard to assess this. Andrew and Mike had the most amount of draft capital. They both had a lot of extra picks. Andrew from both Jordan and myself was sitting on extra, you know, second, third, fourth picks. So it does have a talented team. It's just, it doesn't fit together all that well. 
right? So for me, I look at it and I say, okay, this is probably, you know, the second, at very least, third most talented team in the league, but it just doesn't fit in a very cohesive way. Obviously, he picked a lot of running backs with the intention of trading them, right? He looked at it and said, running backs are gold. I'm going to mine a lot of gold, and then I'm going to trade off the gold for other things that I need instead of getting those things myself. Maybe that'll work out because, you know, again, we do put such a premium at running back. But at a certain point, I think there was a point of diminishing returns and taking more and more running backs at the expense of other parts of the roster started hurting. You know, Mm -hmm. tight end. He's got Mike Gesicki there. Claypool's great. I really do like Claypool. But, you know, at wide receiver two with only Jerry Judy to compliment him, all of a sudden that receiver spot looks like an area where other guys in the league, again, 10-team league, are going to have an advantage against him at that position. This is still a crazy talented team. Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, uh, I, I really like AJ Brown, Josh Allen, you know, one of the top two guys at that position, and a host of running backs who could jump into that flex and produce points. But you know, each of the running backs has some question marks. Chase Claypool, he's gonna have a little bit of a downgrade uh, at that wide receiver two spot each week. And you know, Jerry Judy is a lot of upside, but there's a lot of mouth to feed in Denver. So there's a lot of questions for a team that came into this draft with an absolutely loaded arsenal of picks. So I guess I liked the general strategy of targeting running backs, but like I said, he crossed that point of diminishing returns. I think he picked a few too many and uh, lost out on kind of other areas of the roster, uh, as I pointed out, tight end and wide receiver too. So my issue with uh, Andrew's team is just uh, he, I believe he overvalues uh, young players. Um, He's kind of, looking for a perfect dynasty team where he's just drafting all the young guys out there. But to me, that that's a lot of unproven talent or players that aren't ready to produce for him uh, right out of the gate. And then just kind of looking at players that were available to him, yet he took other people. So in the first round, he took Damian Harris when there's people like even Miles Gaskin. He's a homer for that. Chase Edmonds um, or wide receivers like Terry McLaurin. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Mike Davis was even available. So taking Damian Harris there was a little bit of a surprise. I do like the Javante Williams pick, but again, as I alluded to earlier, like I don't think that's a player that suits uh, Andrew's team other than the fact that he's kind of collecting all these young running backs because I don't think he's a running back that's ready to go out of the gate. And that's a player that maybe uh, Andrew could use in the flex. I don't know how much I trust Damian Harris in that position. And then he had Sony Michelle picked. Again, I personally like Raheem Mostert who went after that. Or even player like Kareem Hunt, I think, is a little bit safer than Sony Michelle. Um, a lot of good wide receivers still available. And then he took players like Chase Claypool or Jerry Judy before Mark Andrews. He could have had a much better upgrade in the tight end position had he just gone Andrews earlier and then taken some of those middle tier wide receivers afterwards. Yeah, that's. I think you hit it exactly right. Like he bypassed some of those key receivers who he could have put into as that wide receiver two spot and at least given that stability. Like Sony Michelle, that's his what fifth running back. He's got the three in the starting lineup. Then Williams. Then Michelle is running back five for him. Like he's not going to be able to play all these guys, right? So again, I like the strategy, but there's an opportunity cost to bypassing those premier players. Like if you're telling me I'm going to trade these running backs for guys at those positions, but it's like, are they actually even going to be better than the guys who were available at the time? So you really have to question that. And again, tight end. Tight end's an interesting one because 
you could have taken Hawk, but putting that aside, you know, you flagged taking Jerry Judy when Mark Andrews was available. Now, part of that is that he didn't have a wide receiver three, so I can appreciate that. And maybe he had Mark Andrews ranked a little bit lower. Like, for example, I viewed tier two of tight end as just being a two-person tier, Hawk and Pitts, not in that order. And I didn't really have Mark Andrews in that tier. I had Mark Andrews as his own little tier beneath that tier two, above that kind of third tier, two, tier 2.5, if you will, because I just don't trust him. But at a certain point, he just looks a lot better than everything else available. And you kind of have to say, well, if I don't take Andrews, I take something much, much worse. So maybe I have to just bite the bullet there. And the difficulty here is that you know, we can sit here and, and criticize him collecting value. And, and I do have a lot of concerns about that approach, but I'm reminded, well, why does he have these picks in the first place? Oh yeah, it's because he had these young stud running backs that he was able to flip to Jordan to pick up extra picks in the first place. So I, I stand by kind of my views on this and my hesitation. I think that's reasonable. But at the same time, I acknowledge that, you know, he's had success with this strategy Hell, it's the very reason why he had all these picks to play with in the first time. Maybe he's playing with fire, trying to replicate it a second time, but it did work. So it's hard to, you know, be too harsh on him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, next, based on your rankings, uh, you had Will. That's code for you disagree. I like that. Based <laughs> on your rankings. Every time you say that, it's like, well, this idiot ranked this guy here. So uh, I th- we'll I go with that. I think when it gets down to the last floor, four. Um, I, I also agreed with you on the number one pick, uh, but when it gets down to the last three, it could be interchangeable about where we have each person. So we'll just yeah. go based on your rankings just for the uh, sake of it, for consistency. So we got Will ranked next. Yeah, so the first thing I want to say is, you know, this was one of the two toughest, well, there were really three super hard decisions for me. One was obviously, what the heck do I do with Andrew, who has arguably the second most talented roster, but, you know, in terms of construction and kind of approach to draft, I have him at fifth. And then the other one was Arash and Himes. Like, I, I like Himes' team a little bit more right now, but obviously Arash has better bones and can do more with that roster. So, you know, I flip-flopped those two a couple times. And then the other really, really tough decision in my book was actually this one here, Will at four. Will, you really almost were three, um, and I'll tell you why you weren't. It's It really comes down to... Chase Edmonds and Deontay Johnson. Now, these are areas that you can improve, and I totally get it. We've talked a little bit about Chase Edmonds and the kind of range of outcomes for him and why we didn't love that pick. But at the same time, like you nabbed a, a very solid running back three. You know, he can mix into that top two when they have bye weeks. He gives you that cover. He has the upside. I get the decision. I just maybe didn't love it. So I downgraded you a little bit because I look at chase and i think you know that could go south and all of a sudden you know you're in the same position as a lot of other people where that running back depth just quite isn't there and then deontay johnson like i like i I get it you know he was the the wide receiver the, the leading receiver for a pass happy offense he is clearly has something going with ben roethlisberger you've got other guys who can compete at that spot. It's not like you're dependent on him. Sutton is another high upside guy. Mouths mm-hmm. to feed some questions. Robbie Anderson, I think, could be very, very good. I love the value of getting him there because, you know, he could be 1A, 1B with DJ Moore. So there's reunited a lot. Reunited with Darnold, too. Reunited with Darnold should give him a boost as well. You know, even Will Fuller to kind of add to that mix. 
you know, there's you've got options for that wide receiver too, and obviously wide receiver is easier than most to fix. It's just there's a little bit of a hole there. Mm-hmm. So the keepers are obviously great. Darren Waller is fantastic. You're gonna you know maybe only two, maybe three people, depending on pits, are gonna have better tight ends than you, or are gonna be able to match your production at tight end. So you're gonna have an edge there. But for a coin flip, really, you would have been third. And I, I really like this team, as he does every year. What does Will do? He puts together a solid, dependable team. He makes smart moves throughout the year to improve it. Like, if Will's not in the playoffs, I think he's just going to be, like, right on the cusp looking out. Like, he has every chance to be there and compete. So, yeah, just another ho-hum, very, very good draft from Will. Yep. And then he's out in the first round of the playoffs. Anyway, um... <laughs> I do appreciate his the best value pick he got was when he got the goat at quarterback in a very late round. Um, if it was just a couple picks later, he would have been my backup quarterback, but he was able to snag Tom Brady late in the draft. So I think that was a very good value pick for him. And Tom Brady was on a t- like that offense really started clicking towards the later part of that oh, year, yeah. right? I mean, second half Tom Brady is uh, very, very different from twenty twenty Tom Brady. So if uh, if he looks more like he did in the late, latter half, uh, this could be a, a great steal as well. So you know, classic wheel move. He's got high floor, high ceiling all over the roster, and uh, yeah, it, I don't really see many outcomes where this goes badly for him because he's got that cover. Mm-hmm. Plus, just shout out, he's got two on the bench, so. Clearly, he's on the Tua train with Chris, Andrew, and myself. What? what? That's a droppable player, in my opinion. <laughs> All right. And then next, you ranked yourself here. So you, yeah, you put so yourself in third. I did. And and I really, you know, I liked the value that fell to me. You know, the, the big weakness here and the really why I considered putting Will ahead of me is that that drop-off that I have from wide receiver, or sorry, from running back two to running back three, like that's the clear weakness. Right, is what happens if anything happens to Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones. Like my wide receiver three is James Conner, it's Jamal Williams. Like that's that's a huge risk. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I think I was just able to get kind of value everywhere, and and I just really like the buildup of this roster. Like Keenan Allen, because of positional value, like I got a wide receiver one, a wide receiver two. I was able to pair him with a guy who not only has a high floor based on what he did last year. He's got an exceptional ceiling as you know a potential breakout candidate. It's like you're hearing the Chargers and, and Herbert on a lot of people's lists to, to break out. So I thought that was great value. He was actually the top guy I had in that tier of quarterbacks with like Rodgers and them. So to get him, to have him fall to me was, was kind of perfect. Again, team building. Maybe I'll regret taking Keenan Allen instead of Mike Davis because of that drop-off. But, you know, I look at what is my floor each week and I think I'm going to be able to post a a very healthy amount of points and really I think the reason I put myself ahead of Will is the strength of those keepers Mm -hmm. right like maybe Will had a better overall draft but when you factor everything into it and look at the team that we walked out with that trio just has that upside and it's kind of complemented really well with Keenan Allen with a relatively safe tight end and Hawkinson with Ayuk and some options that I have at, at flex you know, this is a team that, that could be up there again. So I've resisted kind of ranking myself too high in the past, but this year I, I just felt I had to give myself the edge over Will, and I'm very keen to, to hear what you have to think about that. Well, just as a disclaimer too, you did have the same grade for yourself and Will, but you just, yeah, yeah. So like I said, it was a coin flip. It's a close one, and um, I pretty much had you guys in the same tier. 
Uh, I did end up ranking Will above you uh, for the sole reason that he does have a little bit more depth at running back, but that's not to say by much. It's more the fact that you're already starting off with three wide receivers, one wide receiver in the flex. I do have to agree, though, that you do have the better overall keepers. I think out of all the keepers, if it's just one single keeper, I would take Kamara out of the six of them. But when you're looking at three versus three keepers, you definitely have the stronger pack there. Uh, Justin Herbert, I think, could be just as good as Tom Brady. Definitely a lot more long-term upside, although we don't have a tendency to keep uh, quarterbacks. When you're looking at wide receiver two, I definitely value Keenan Allen a lot higher than I do uh, Deontay Johnson, who he had there. And I think just equivalently, you have a decent enough depth at wide receiver. I'm not huge on Kenny Galladay. The talent is there, but I just don't trust the Giants. Uh, with TJ Hawkinson, he's one of the last few top-tier tight ends, and I think he's, he's bound for a breakout. Do I think he's going to be as good as Waller? I don't. Uh, so just those minute differences, uh, but it could have it gone either way. Yeah, again, Hawkinson was one of those value propositions, right? Like I, I didn't have it as a top-six tight end because of how I value Mark Andrews. To me, like it was very important that I come out of that pick three, four swing with Hawkinson because I, I just thought the drop-off was huge. So, mm-hmm. you know, being able to kind of account for the fact that I was missing my second round pick and still end up with high floor guys at every position was, was you know, was huge for me. I, I was thrilled to have the board break the way it did in part because of how running backs were valued, but, you know, it really paid off. Mm-hmm. Sorry, White Arash is Hawkinson. <laughs> so the last two people ranked... Um... Lo and behold, it's between me and Mike. And the first position, I think, unanimously, we both agree that it should be Mike. So we can start off with my team, I guess, and then we can go over Mike's. Okay, so just at the onset, I will say that I I felt a little bit weird coming onto your podcast and ranking you second. Um, So I did give this kind of extra scrutiny. Now, I'm not saying I weighted things any differently for you than I did for anyone else, but I really, you know, critically assessed, like, is, is this really the second best team? And, you know, I really found it hard to poke holes, right? Like everywhere on this roster, there's kind of value and there's just a lot to like. Again, you've got those two linchpin running backs, Eckler Carson, they're going to give you that tandem that you need. Mike Davis supplements it perfectly. You could be a great, reliable starter at the flex. He can rotate into the running backs. Uh, Hopkins, Jefferson, you know, those are two elite wide receiver one quality guys. You've got unbelievable support for them. Like Amari Cooper and Julio Jones are on the bench. That's that's wild. That's, you know, they can rotate into the flex. They can provide cover for Hop and Jefferson. That's, that's just a lot of depth to be able to enjoy. And hell, they're good enough to be tradable. So adding that to a pretty safe combination at, at quarterback and tight end obviously we've talked a little bit about how i don't trust mark andrews quite as much as the top five but you know there's a clear drop off there so you gave yourself a shot at that position too like you're not gonna there's gonna be weeks where he has a couple touchdowns and there's gonna be weeks where he doesn't give you quite as much but that's that's a lot of production that you're gonna be able to kind of count on from that tight end spot even if it is a little um volatile uh, Mahomes, again, you know, you, you take one of those top two guys and you know that you're going to be amongst the top of that position every single week. The, the depth is good, even though, you know, I don't like Andrews quite as much. I really like the backup for him. Not saying Higby should start, but he's one of those kind of bottom tier tight ends that has a lot of potential. He's on a lot of breakout lists. Uh, speaking of Justin Fields, 
you know, that could be a tremendous asset. It's a little bit weirder that, you know, maybe you took him because you have Mahomes. So I don't see him ever supplanting Mahomes as a starter, but you know, he gives you a potential trade piece. Like if he breaks out, you could either trade Fields or even Mahomes if you want to get really frisky, but Mm -hmm. just gives you kind of a fun lottery ticket that a lot of people really believe in. So no, I just, I look at this and I say, there's a lot of ways that this can go right. Mm -hmm. And actually not that many ways that I see this going south. So I think that overall team floor is, is actually quite high. Like it's hard to poke holes in this team. I imagine people will because let's be honest it's you so you're gonna get that kind of scrutiny and i I welcome other people kind of telling me where there are holes here besides mark andrews but you know i look at it this way i would swap rosters if it's just this year like i love my i love my keepers but like i think you could do a lot with damage with this with that high floor like you're more likely to win with this kind of roster than with my kind of roster so maybe i'm overvaluing that high floor that safety that you've built here but lot to like no real weaknesses and uh yeah even though i really looked at it closely i I think i got to rank you number two yeah i think i had uh, a little bit of a weaker set of keepers going into the draft that is a pitfall and obviously it's hard to predict injuries but both eckler and carson have an injury history uh so that could be another pitfall and then just beyond mike davis i don't know why like there's still even that little bit of hesitancy around him i'm still not convinced that he's going to be the guy that he was in carolina in atlanta i don't know how they're going to use him he hasn't been out there in preseason so i have a little bit of hesitation there and because i don't have anything beyond that at the running back position that is a little bit nerve-wracking but with the depth that i have at wide receiver i feel pretty comfortable starting three wide receivers with one being in my flex yeah, absolutely. I totally get that. And again, it's it's just a safe team, right? You you really did a really good job of kind of targeting value and the board broke the right way in which the value really kind of complemented what you had on your team. Like you grabbed Mike Davis and you grabbed that quarterback early, but then you had Andrews, the last of that kind of relatively safe tier of guys perfectly fall to you. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you, you played the value really well. I think there's a few people, Mike, yourself, me, who really kind of did the most got the most in terms of value at each draft spot. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I have us one, two, three. So maybe I'm overvaluing kind of how the board broke for the three of us. But I think of the three of us, actually, you know, because Mike had all these extra picks, mm-hmm. um, you played the value game the best of the three of us. The only thing that I kind of wish went a little bit differently is, um, again, it just had to uh, do with the fact that Mike had a pick ahead of me. So it's nothing I could have really done about it. Uh, but Mike had the opportunity to take David Montgomery one pick ahead of me in the first round and then was able to grab Terry McLaurin in the second round. That combination, I think I would have preferred over Justin Jefferson and Mike Davis that I got in the second round. So if I could have swapped that around, somehow gotten David Montgomery, and then he ta- he takes Jefferson, I, I think that McLaurin is slightly... Uh, lower in my rankings than Jefferson. I do think that Jefferson has a higher ceiling, but having the upside of David Montgomery over Mike Davis would have added that level of safety for me. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. The gap between Montgomery and Davis is greater than the gap between Jefferson and McLaurin. Exactly. All right, and then Mike, I think that all the chips kind of fell onto his lap. Like he had the opportunity. Part of it had to do with the fact that there was a few surprising picks. I personally didn't think Montgomery would fall to pick number five for uh, Mike to take. I also thought maybe he might, because he has a little bit more 
uh, draft capital and a bit more depth. I thought he might be a bit more aggressive again and take someone like Javante Williams. He's taken young players in the past, like J.K. Dobbins in the first round. So I wasn't really sure where he was going with, but um, the fact that David Montgomery fell to him at five, I think that was the best option and the best choice that he made. I think Terry McLaurin is a very solid wide receiver too that he was able to grab in the second round. Uh, the team is just Josh Jacobs right now is on his bench. That that's how talented it is. Uh, Raheem Mostert definitely has startability right off the gate as long as he doesn't get injured. Um, there are some questions about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for me. He's still going to be a viable starter, but again, I just don't see him as one of those top keepers that were kept. Uh, but even at the quarterback position, he took two quarterbacks with great value uh he obviously can't start both of them but one of them is a trade factor or if one of them goes down with injury he's got a very solid one in the backup so kyler murray uh he was actually he mentioned he was targeting dak prescott who's a quarterback i would have also been happy with if mahomes didn't fall to me but the fact that he was able to grab kyler murray and dak prescott i think he's pretty much set at that position uh so all in all i think he has one of the top guys in every single position. That's why I easily see him as a number one team and a team that's going to be difficult to beat this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the front runner, right? I mean, it's easy to say, oh, well, he had a huge haul of picks, so that's why his team is good. But it's not just that, right? Like, he really maximized the value of each one of those picks. Exactly. Right? He kind of let the board come too, in. But we don't have him ranked in this position either. Yeah, that's, that's a very good example, right? Like, just look at the comparison between the two. It's because he just kind of gobbled up value every time it came to him. So David Montgomery, right? Like, that dependable running back that there's been some questions about Jacobs. So all of a sudden, he hedges that risk. Really, Jacobs and CEH, right? Like, there were some question marks about both of his running backs. He hedges that risk with a really dependable uh, running back that it, you know, can, can mix right in there. McLaurin, that's just gobbling up value. This is a wide receiver one uh, who we talked about how he's only going to get better. Uh, there's just value all over the place. Henderson at the bottom there, right? Like going one pick behind Sonny Michelle. Like Henderson could be a league winner, right? Mm-hmm. He's at least got the talent. Mm-hmm. Like if you're betting on Sonny Michelle, you're betting that Henderson's going to get hurt. But if you're betting on Henderson, there's actually like just a lot of independent factors, regardless of what happens with Michelle, that could result in him being that kind of league winning top five, top 10 back. Now, Sonny Michelle could eat into it and they could decide to kind of treat Henderson with uh, kid gloves because they want to preserve him for the long run and so it's a true timeshare sure that could happen too but you know when you have the luxury of having extra picks and there's a potential league winner sitting there available to you and you don't have any glaring needs that's exactly the type of person you should be taking so again it's not just yeah he had a lot of picks he made really good decisions with those picks i respect the hell out of it and you know that's something that it, it not only helped his team, but it really had ripple effects, right? So when you start taking Henderson and then Mostert, what you're also doing is you're affecting the market for everybody else, right? Like, it's a zero-sum game. The more guys he takes, the fewer there are for others. And obviously, the same goes for Andrew, but it's a little bit different when you've already addressed all the weaknesses on your team, mm-hmm. right? Like, a, a, drawing up the running back market when you don't have that same issue at wide receiver two when you've got that, you know, solid quarterback and tight end in place, like at that point, it doesn't hurt you as much, right? There's no, there's not the same opportunity cost to continuously attacking running back when you have those other important positions, especially tight end, where there's such scarcity. If you have those positions taken care of, the opportunity cost in taking that fifth running back isn't as high. So yeah, I kind of gave Andrew a little bit of shit for taking 
his fifth running back around that same time. But it's different when you've got tight end accounted for. Quarterbacks deep, so you know he did manage to get two great ones. But having that very kind of vulnerable position tight end accounted for gave him a little bit more freedom and leeway to attack some of those positions, and he played it well. We we talked about quarterback like. Murray's got phenomenal upside, sure, a little bit of risk, but same with Prescott. The upside's outrageous. Like, Dak Prescott, and I hate that I'm kind of pumping up his trade value for Mike, you're welcome. Dak Prescott, when he was healthy at the beginning of last year, was on a ridiculous pace. Seriously, it's absolutely bonkers. So, yeah, both those guys give him tremendous upside at that position as well. There are no holes. He's set all over the place. Yeah, he had a lot of picks, but, you know, again, it's it's not just having them. It's what you do with them. So, yep, kudos to you, Mike. Got to hand it. That's the, the best squad. You're the, the team to beat, and we're going to be gunning for you. Like, we haven't even talked about the fact that Woods, a wide receiver two caliber guy, is his wide receiver three that you can rotate in. So, no notes. Well done. So, you want to reveal the grades that you had based on your rankings? Yep. So, again, the rankings were more just about grades like two guys who have the same grade are going to be a lot closer than you know two guys who are next to each other in number so it's just kind of important to take that into account that there's a little bit of range here the other thing i always say is i'm a tough grader my grades are all curved at a b average that's just kind of how i've always done things and you know that's maybe the law school part of me but rolling out from the bottom chris i gave a c plus i really considered the b just because there is some top end talent that b minus because there is some top end talent and the upsides there but at the end of the day you know in order to set a curve at a b and in order to give a couple a's i wanted to give a couple c pluses as well just to keep things spread out uh jordan kind of in that same tier in that same class i also gave a c plus you know i, I mentioned earlier that there are going to be a couple a's here and I balanced that out in part with two C pluses. I just kind of think that these two are in the same tier at the moment. Tofu was an interesting one. I know that you had him a little bit lower, but I actually gave him a B minus. I have him, no one is in the same grade, so I have him kind of perfectly between the Jordan and Chris tier, and then right behind this next tier of two guys. That next tier, Arash, is at a B, Himes is also at a B. I have Himes just a shade ahead, but the fact that I have both of them at B uh, means a lot more than me having one ahead of the other. Like really functionally, same tier, same guys. I like Himes' team a little bit be- a little bit better right now, but Arash has kind of the better bones. So um, you really, you could flip it. Like I said, these were super close. Andrew, I have in the same tier as Will and I. Again, it's, that one was super tough because I think that's the second most talented team like in terms of roster. Like There's more talent on that than anyone other than Mike. But just based on the roster construction, how the team looks right now, I, I just kind of had to put it a shade below Will and myself. Uh, you know, Obviously fixable, but just what it looks like right now, uh, just a shade below, competitively speaking. Uh, myself and Will, I, flip them. I don't really care. Really we're at the exact same point. I mean, it's one's a little bit more high upside, one has a higher floor. Maybe it depends on what you value more, and I value that kind of explosive high upside a shade more than Will's consistency, but both are you know strong teams that are going to be in that playoff and title hunt. Sam, I think you're close. I gave you an A-. minus. Sam, you're closer to myself and Will than you are to Mike, so I guess an argument could be made that maybe you should be kind of the head of our grade, that you should also have a B plus. 
but no, I, I still felt good about giving you the A minus, kind of based on uh, everything we said earlier, and not there not being any weaknesses, and just a lot of different ranges of outcomes that end up with you having a very strong team and making a run. And then Mike, I didn't give you an A plus because I'm obscenely stingy. I think the only time an A plus is given out was when there are multiple first round picks, and in a sense, you did have multiple first round picks because of CEH, but uh, I just looked at it and I said, you know, Sam is closer to being pushed down to a B plus than you are to being pushed up to an A plus. So if you really want to argue that there's a gap, I guess uh, the move would be to slide Sam down, but I'm confident that kind of that represents the tiers. Mike, Sam, myself, Will, Andrew, kind of all together, depending on how you want to split hairs. Himes and Arash, depending on how you value kind of the team as it sits right now versus the bones and what it could be. So Arash could jump ahead of Himes, but they're graded kind of the same. And then Tofu I have in his own little tier. Sam made some good points about why maybe he should be ranked a little bit lower or in that same tier as Joe, uh, Jordan and Chris. And then at the bottom there, I just have Jordan and Chris. And again, those two, it's really interesting. Really, the bottom three, what did it was the lack of draft capital. Right, you miss one top pick, or in Jordan's case, three top picks, and then it has that cascading effect where every pick looks a little bit worse because you know your third guy is now your, sorry, your fourth guy is now your third, your fifth is now your fourth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that cascading effect is really evident in those bottom three rosters. Uh, Chris, I'm including you in that because of the CEH trade. So yeah, those are my grades. I will post this later so you can read the actual descriptions and. As a fun little gimmick, I gave everyone a draft-related award, which I chose not to mention. So, uh, you know, read the reviews for that, read the grades for that. But, yep, that's how I rated you all. Look forward to uh, your comments and your criticisms because those are just as fun. All right. Thank you, Matt, team, for your analysis. And uh, we'll discuss it more in the group and looking forward to next podcast. Awesome. Thanks for uh, organizing this, especially in light of all of the technical difficulties we had. Yep. Uh, it probably goes unnoticed, but there's a lot of work that goes into this. So uh, we appreciate you doing this. Yep. Not a problem. All right. See you next time.